1: Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live streaming and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. This week my guest is radio broadcaster and massive Weller fan Peter Gordon. Born in Guildford. PG has ruled the Surrey Airwaves for over 25 years. We'll hear about growing up with the jam, breaking into the big time as local boys, and we hear about interviews with Paul Weller on plenty of occasions too. So let's get into it. Hey, PG. Hello there. Thank you for inviting me along. I'm very excited to be talking on this podcast, I have to say. I know this is one of your big passion points, PG. Being a Surrey boy, Paul Weller means a lot to you lot, doesn't he?
2: Uh, very much so. I mean, I think, um, you know, Woking is very proud to have had you know, the jam and obviously Paul as part of that. There is a little sort of, I don't know whether or not I should call it a monument. It's, it's sort of, it's a, it, it's a wooden sculpture in one of the newish developments in Woking, which is dedicated to the jam. And Rick actually came along and opened it, and I was there to present for the occasion. I think there needs to be more, and, and there have been conversations in and around Woking. I think all three of them. Having sort of spoken to them separately, I think all three of them would pleased about that. I don't know where Paul would be about it, but I think, um, certainly the others, and I think it probably needs to be a bit more than the sort of wooden logs that are.
1: Oh yeah. So let's, yeah, we were going I was going to get into this later, but let's, let's loop straight in. So this is a 7.7 ton tribute to the jam, which is in Woking. It's this three pronged sculpture made of oak. Officially opened by Rick Buckler, like you say, the jam drummer. Um, back in, it was actually summer of 2012, that Olympic year. And I know a lot of fans turned up for the opening of it. But do you think it's enough? Listen, I think it was a nice gesture. There was
2: It was a time where uh, Woking was really beginning to get involved in developing forward. I mean, it's done huge amounts since, which many people around that area would certainly know about. So I think the gesture was good. I think the reality of it. Possibly was a bit of a surprise. That's not always a bad thing in the art world, of course. I'm not sure what Rick thought of it.
1: <laughs> was it the first time that he saw it then? Yeah, oh, yeah,
2: right. it was. Yeah, and um and I think, yeah, I th- I think more could be done. But but I think the the point is that actually, I think more will be done. The development of the town continues afoot, and I think there's going to be more stuff that's going to come forward. Um, as part of of the legacy of having having the Jam and Paul, of course, uh, as a you know, flag bearers for woking really.
1: Okay, PG, we need to take you back in time now to when it was that you first discovered the music of Mister Paul Weller, and I, I'm assuming it's the Jam, but I'm not entirely sure when exactly.
2: Yeah, it was the Jam, and it was it was huge. I mean, the impact was huge. I just sort of turned that corner around 11, 12 age, where I was really beginning to look properly at music. I'd always been a fan of music. I'd liked music. I grew up with music radio on the background. And I had a very musical family. So, so that was already there. The springboard was there. And then I heard Start, which was just... I remember, I remember it because it was around at the time of uh, Bowie and Ashes to Ashes as well. It was that sort of phase of music and my sort of music sensory nerves were being bombarded by these sounds and start was just an amazing song, really short amazingly punchy. Uh, There was a desperation in it as well, which Paul, of course, used to do so well with so many of his lyrics and particularly around jam time. And of course it came from uh, an album, which, you know, as it happens, you know, a song is an arrowhead, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It, You know, it gets in there and then you go back down the the shaft of the arrow to find where it's coming from. And of course, sound effects, the album came out, which is just amazing. So yeah, so start with the one I remember at school being with a friend of mine and we just used to repeat that song. We just used to have it playing very loud um, and just kept going with it and kept going until obviously sound effects then came out. And then actually we sort of did the same with the album. (laughs) And then from there, obviously we had the gift to come after that with things like Town Called and stuff. But then you start as quite often you do when you discover music, you then go back. And, um, you know, obviously you could go back through Setting Suns and all more cons and In the City and the Modern World and all the rest of it. So, um yeah, it was the jam and it was start absolutely clear. And I remember it as if it was yesterday.
1: Yeah, I always think with this podcast, I think there's a lovely thing which could happen, which somebody could dig into this and never have heard a Paul Weller album or they've discovered Fat Pop because it was number one. And they're, and they're like, oh, hold on, I like this. And then suddenly they've got to wade through. And, and I make that sound like that's an awful thing. Obviously, it's not. Um But they've got to go through, they can go through all this incredible back catalogue of like, I'm trying to do the math. what is it, like 35 albums or something ridiculous? That That's an incredible thing, isn't it? Yes, you're right. And of course,
2: that's the case with anyone that's got any sort of longevity, of course. Although, you know, there aren't many now that are still working now that were, you know, all the way back then. And, and of course, I think probably, I'm going to put my neck out here. And I'm going to say probably more than any other artist or band. The, no, it's not just a back catalogue, but it's it's a real journey of development, which is so different. You put something together like, and some, not all, but some just a, a smidgen of years apart. You have a little look at things like, you know, In the City from that album, for example. And it really is only a handful of years later that you've got Star Council and Spin Drifting or something like that. Hang on, it's the same guy. I think Paul might quite like this although he probably wouldn't say it, there's a sort of Beatles thing around that. If you think about the Beatles material in such a short space of time, now looking back on it, there's something around that as well with the way, certainly the way that Paul came through. There's only whatever it was, 13 years? No, no, 14 years, pretty much, between In the City and his first solo album. Not that long, really, these days. So, yeah, you're right about that catalog. Amazing discoveries to be made in that, if you haven't listened yet. His ability to produce the amount of output that he's produced, and with such variety, the difference between, say, Sonic Kicks and 22 Dreams, the difference between, you know, on Sunset. My word and these are all within reachable years just gone by aren't they no I think it's extraordinary and and I uh, I think he continues that, that's why he's so interesting still and that's why he gets the interest because he's been able to do it I mean I even love some of the stuff that he was putting up some of the bits that he played from on sunset you know in his living room during lockdown the first lockdown he was just him and the acoustic and I presume Hannah probably filming him just amazing and they, and they were great <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were just fantastic. Let's talk about Weller in a live arena. Can you remember your first Paul Weller gig? Now then, that's an interesting one because I never saw the jam.
2: I very nearly did because they used to play Guildford Civic Hall. They always would include Guildford Civic Hall. They even had it on their final tour. And I was very nearly at that final gig in Guildford. It was local to me. I'm a Guilford boy. So it was a big thing. And for various reasons too long to go into it, I couldn't make it. So I missed that. Anyway, so I never saw the jam. My first time of seeing Paul was solo and just around the Wildwood tour, which was great, fantastic, and then and then a number of times since. And I think what's really interesting uh, around seeing Paul, and I don't know, I've never really asked jam fans if they had this, but there are definitely really great gigs for Paul. And I think, and I think you'd be fair in saying, he probably put his hands up to it, some gigs where it didn't just didn't quite work. I've seen both of those. I've seen both of those. You know, I saw him Guildfest, um, in 2005. Status quo had been on the night before and he was on the night after. Of course, there's a link there. There's a connection there. We can come back to that at some point. And, and then I also remember seeing him at the Crawley Leisure Center. It wasn't called the Crawley Leisure Center by that point, something else in Crawley. I don't know. It wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't himself that night. I don't think. And then I've seen him even more recently in Guildford at G Live. I don't think he enjoyed that gig. I'll be honest, I thought he was great. It was a fantastic gig, but I don't think he enjoyed it. And, you know, I've also had opportunities to uh, to talk to him and interview him um, and even see him rehearse, actually.
1: Oh, well, we have to dig into that in a second. Um, one thing I should ask you, how did you feel when it came, when the jams split?
2: Yeah, it was a weird one, that because... Um, so I got in during sound effects then got into, obviously, a lot changed. And that was a thing. So much changed so quickly, looking back on it. You know, from, say, the release of Start in 1980 to then things like, in, you know, in between times, and you had know, that's entertainment. And then you had sort of Funeral Par and Absolute Beginners that bridged into The Gift. And then a Town Called Malice came out with its bag and its sort of special sleeve and all of that. And then The Gift came out. Suddenly, the Trans Global Express tour came around. I think in the... I think the split was announced in, like, the September of, of 82. Paul got his hair cut really short, did the tour. Bitterest Pill came out. Uh, and before you know it, Beat Surrender with that wonderful EP that also had things like um, Stoned Out of My Mind on it and Move yeah. On Up. And it was done. It was like... oh, it, it. And it was gone. And um, I definitely remember, clearly I was sad about it because I really loved the jam stuff. And by that point, I'd gone back in time and already got all the back catalog and everything, you know. But I remember him talking about the fact he had something new coming up. So so, so that was always a hook. And I've got to say, I mean, I love the Star Council. <laughs> I know people have mixed opinions about it. But once again... I mean the 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 difference of material over a fairly short space of time. Once again, you know the the sort of you know eclectic, slightly erratic nature of Cafe Bleu as an album, for example. You know, and then our favourite Shop, which was which was a more sort of pop based and and uh, album. But there was still, I thought, with his writing at that time, you know, the cutting edge. He was still there. Was politics involved? There was observation involved, of course, which he was so good at over those years particularly so yeah i was sad about the jam but i sort of got into the style council pretty quick i liked the i liked the style um and that slight tongue-in-cheek feel i got that i understood it i know a lot of people sort of misunderstood that a bit but i got that no one else was really doing it quite like that and i think that was the point point. and i love the fact that really they were sort of taking the mick out of you pardon the pun they were taking the mick out of <laughs> It took me a while to get that. (laughs) A lot of people around them, which sort of also included themselves a bit as well. I quite like that. I thought it was a really interesting, at a time during the eighties, you know, I was 18 in 1986. So I was in that sort of last sort of bit of sort of teenage years when they were around doing that. I thought it was really interesting and I, I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, Speak Like a Child, I think it's a fantastic, I mean, fantastic debut single for any band. Uh, and and then you know taking it all the way through. I, and there's some real standout tracks for me. I mean the um you know the piano version of My Ever Changing Moods, which is on Cafe Blur. I think it's just an extraordinarily moving piece of music. You know, I mean it's a great song anyway, but that that version of it is just brilliant. I like some of their B sides. Blood Sports, great song, You know, whole point of No Return 2, which sort of linked back to Cafe Blur. So once again, as a fan, there was lots to get your hands on again. And of course, he was so good with sleeve notes and all sorts of bits and pieces. Yeah, so was upset about the jam, no doubt about it. I didn't feel I was one of the We Are the Mods Brigade that used to turn up at the Star Council gigs. I enjoyed the Star Council too, so in a way, the journey continued really for me.
1: So at which point did radio come into your life then? Because, you know, for the past 25 years plus, that's, that's what you've been doing. It's been your living, your career, your life, as much as music and weller. Radio was always a big thing. Um, was it hospital radio? Is that where you started out? Oh, uh, yeah, around that sort of time,
2: I wasn't doing hospital radio. I um I remember popping up on the local station in Surrey area, which is in those days called County Sound, and I was on um <laughs> on one of these programs w- which records were going to be hit hit or miss, it was called. That was it. So there was no Weller stuff on that, but but there was Janet Jackson, What Have You Done for Me Lately, which I absolutely panned and said, you know, she's never gonna get anywhere. So that worked <laughs> out well. Um <laughs> and then I and then I went and actually what happened then is I went to university. To York, which has got and still has got a fantastic campus radio station, uh, university station. So, yeah, so I had my own radio shows for you know three years or whatever, and which was just a fantastic practice ground, anyway. But of course, a lot, a lot of my music uh, it was fairly predictable. There was a number of jam and Star Council tracks thrown in. Um, I'm also got a bit of a rock side, which which was you know I sort of did allude to a bit earlier. Thinking about Quo. So I was always a bit confused. I never quite, sh- I was never really sure. I remember even walking around at one point with, here we go, a denim waistcoat with some patches on it. And yet I had the Paul Weller, um, Steve Marriott hair. <laughs> I couldn't work out what I was anymore. I didn't know the
1: weller <laughs> well
2: Yeah, it was, which is which is the connection actually. But um so yeah, so those late years of the eighties was about you know I went to to York University to get a politics degree, which I just about did, but I spent most of my time in the radio station there and that was just a fantastic grounding I mean that, that was really really good to be able to rehearse for a number of years really I suppose for what ended up being the real thing although I didn't know I was going to at the time
1: Yeah that reminds me of the other day I was listening through to some of my hospital radio cassettes and, and every show I would start with that spiritual feeling which was Style Council era wasn't it it was that last album but was actually came you know first released as a B-side on Into Tomorrow and I used to use it as a, as a music bed so I would use it to talk over to introduce the show and um I thought at that point, like if you had a piece of music, you had to use a whole piece of music. So my intros to the show would always be like seven, eight minutes, which is the length of that 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 tune, I think, if I remember rightly. And I just waffle on for ages talking about what was coming up on the show today, with that banging away in the background.
2: It's possibly someone enjoyed it. It might have been you, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) my nan loved it at the time. Bless her. (laughs) I always just think when you when you listen back to when you're younger and you've done this sort of stuff, you've done radio stuff, bits and pieces. I always always used to speak so quickly, and my voice was so much higher. (laughs) (laughs) that's actually me I I sound like a cartoon character
1: (laughs) so 25 years then at Eagle Radio um, and within that there were lots of meetings and conversations and interviews with Paul Weller and I'm going to pick you up on something in a sec PG, because I was working there at the time so I need to to chat with you about something specifically but talk to me about that how did did that first come about to be honest with you Dan I'd I'd been doing breakfast radio in one form
2: or another from around 1990 where I first got involved in in the radio back in Surrey as a journalist, really. So, so I was doing news and sport journalism and then sort of ended up presenting sports programs and then ended up being invited to help launch a station in Berkshire called Star FM, where I went in as the breakfast newsreader and then actually ended up presenting breakfast on my own for that period of time. From there, I then... Went back to to Guildford to the Surrey area and was asked to help launch what was then Eagle, or what was called ninety six point four The Eagle in those days. Uh, when in recent years was Eagle Radio, and I was just asked to present breakfast and and get involved in the sort of management of it. And that started in in ninety six and didn't stop until September twenty. And it wasn't just the breakfast show. You know, I was very much involved in the running of the station, the understanding of the station within the community, how it could help what it could do, um, how it could better people's lives, if it possibly could. Um, it was more than just sort of, you know, doing radio, there was something else involved, which is why I think it lasted as long as it did. And I have to say, there's not much better stuff than you can do than be broadcasting, you know, in an area where you were born, where you grew up, where you sort of know pretty much each nook and cranny. No one can challenge you on that in terms of he doesn't know what he's talking about I may not like what he says or may not like the way he is or whatever but actually to be honest he does sort of know I think that's a massive privilege and just really really enjoyed it
1: and there must have been at some point, you know, you're on, you're on the biggest radio station in Surrey. Paul Weller's from Surrey. He's got a studio in Surrey. There must have been a point and, and this links into the podcast in a way where, where the entire existence of this podcast is here so that I can have a chat with Paul Weller. Um, there must have been a bit of you where you're in the radio station thinking, I can, I must be able to get a conversation. I must be able to have a chat with him. The journey towards when I did eventually meet Paul
2: started some years before with a very, very strange thing. So Guildfest was a big music festival in the Guildford area. Um, It ran for many years. I think the last one was around 2014. There's some talk about it coming back at some point. There was one year where Bruce Foxton and Rick Buckler were both backstage together for the first time. And I Uh interviewed them together. So first of all, there was Bruce and Rick on the radio for the first time in I don't know how many years. So that was a bit of a historic going on there. And the funny thing about that was, you know, I was very excited about doing that, obviously, as a jam fan. But I, I sort of remember thinking, Jam, maybe I should have made a bit more of that. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I should have sent that to the national press. I didn't. Anyway, all that sort of thing. Um, then what happened a few years later is because uh, Rick and Bruce were both doing separate things. But then at the University of Surrey in Guildford, I was there on the night where they first gigged together. Bruce and Rick, for the first time since whenever. So this is all going very well. I got to know Rick and Bruce a little bit as well, which is nice, etc, uh, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And then in the end, they they sort of drifted and things, that you know, as you know, because um, you've already had him on your podcast series, Russell Hastings teamed up with Bruce to continue from the jam and all the rest of it. But before all of that, if you remember, there was a time when there was a big sort of like tribute album, Fire and Skill, was it called? Mm-hmm. Tribute album yeah, to the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, people like Oasis did Carnation on it and things like That's that. That's right, right, yeah. Now, I, at that time, had got Rick's autograph on there, I'd got Bruce's autograph on there, and I kept it with me until <laughs> such time as I finally met Paul. <laughs> and when I did do that, by the way, I got all three of them Amazing. signed it post the jam years. (laughs) So there's the thing. Um, So anyway, so um, yeah, all of that happened. And then the opportunity, and this, you know, this happened as you pointed towards earlier, this, this happens, you know, when promos going on and stuff, you can interview people. My first interview with Paul was, I went up to a studios in London. And I think this was, it was certainly pre the, as is now album. So we had a little chat in the studio. Um, it was a time when the Guildford Civic Hall was still closed. There'd be no development. It'd be closed for a number of years because he asked me about it. He said, what's wow. going on down there? And, and I said, well, blah, blah. Said another. And he said, well, listen, when it eventually opens, I'll come down and play it. And as I'd already mentioned, he made good on that down hmm. the years. It took a while for that to reopen. So that was my first one. The real classic day was, I think he, they were rehearsing for the As Is Now tour. I got a call saying, do you want to interview Paul? Absolutely. Well, can you come up to, and I think it was made of Ale, and they were rehearsing. So I arrived, <laughs> you know, with my little tape machine and all the rest of it. And um, I was greeted by whoever, you know, whoever it was. Do you want to have a, just a watch of them rehearsing? I went and sat in the corner for half an hour wow. and watched, you know, him and Craddock and the rest of them at that stage. Amazing. Unbelievable i mean, I do remember at that point sitting there going, "Well, I mean, you know, that's just mad." Uh, and then I interviewed him afterwards. And then also that weekend he was playing at Guildfest. He was playing, and and we were backstage, and I was able to say hello, and we had a little chat and and, and stuff then as well. So that and that was a great gig that he played that night. So his daughter Leah was there because they were all there. You know, family were there and all. Rest of it. he was about to go on. I think he was going on later that afternoon. And I can't remember what age she was then, but you know, she was of of a younger age, teenage sort of fan type sort of feel about yeah. her. And I can't I can't remember who the act was, but there was sort of like I think a boy bandy type act that had been on early in the afternoon. And I remember Paul. So I was sitting at a table somewhere and I was sort of watching Paul, too. You know, <laughs> watching Paul. And um
1: <laughs> and
2: He went up to the he went up to the, the guy, whoever I can't remember his name, went up to the guy. And said, Look, I'm really um, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> this is great. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, my daughter, Leah, is a bit of a fan. Would you mind <laughs> signing something for her? I just thought, that's fantastic, isn't it? I love that. Paul Weller is the sort of you know the dad trying to get a, an autograph for his daughter, and why not? I mean, in yeah, the end, you know, yeah. everyone's human. <laughs> but I just thought that was a lovely little, I uh, was a lovely little observation that I had, and the, the, the privilege to see that. Got to see him and and, uh, and meet him a few times over those sort of radio years, which was just mm. brilliant, and I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: And I don't know if you remember this, Pete. We actually went to a Paul Weller gig together. It was a Teenage Cancer Trust gig. So Royal Albert Hall. You drove. It was. Uh, did I drive? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely did because you you had that black sports car that was. So low to the ground, you could barely get out of it. <laughs> That's nice. I think I could barely get out of it, <laughs> barely get in it. I, I um,
2: <laughs> It was in the days where you could park fairly close to the Albert Hall, I think, and you yeah. could sort of get away with it for a while. If I remember yeah. rightly.
1: So this would have been around the time of Twenty Two Dreams, and I remember whilst I was working for Eagle Radio, um, we did some street team activity at Sainsbury's in Cobham, um, and suddenly this uh, this big white transit van pulls up, and Weller gets out to go and do his shopping, gets a basket, does his food shopping or whatever. And I've told this story before on the podcast. Um, my colleague managed to get him over to the van. We gave him some chocolate on behalf of Nectar and Sainsbury's. And all I could think of to say at the time was big fan, big fan. Uh, so that was the meeting. You and I then went to this gig and, and it was a brilliant gig. I remember around that time, because it was the first time I ever heard him do Why Walk When You Can Run from um, from 22 Dreams, which I love. It's a brilliant, brilliant song. It might have even been the album. I might not have even been out. I'm trying to remember. But I remember that being the premiere of that song, which was great. And then I have to pick you up on something PG. So a few weeks later, the opportunity comes up and you, are able to meet Paul Weller for an interview about the album 22 Dreams. And you take along another presenter, a guy called Darren Bloody Scott. Actually, his middle name is not Bloody. Darren Scott you take along. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> do you know, that's right. I have actually, you're right. I, I,
2: I saw him then as well, didn't I? Yeah, we did. Uh, maybe I've done a three, few more interviews with him than I realized, actually. <laughs> but um, yeah, sorry about that, Dan. I do <laughs> apologize. <laughs> well, there's always a next time. But it yeah. was a good gig. That. <laughs> that was a good gig, though, wasn't it? That was a good gig. I was really pleased because there was a number of years in the early days of the Solo that he wouldn't play a lot of that catalogue stuff. And I understand why that was. I understand that, you know, Paul's a lot of the time always been about breaking new ground. And the nostalgia thing, certainly for a period of time, was not the big thing for him. But I do remember when he did start going back through, and in fact, the Days of Speed live album came out of that, you may remember. In the end, for any artist, they've got to be comfortable about what they're doing. And I think he'd obviously become... Just reinvigorated by some of the stuff where he'd been, as well as where he was going, and wanted to reflect that. And I thought, and even now, you know, I think there's some really interesting live songs that he's chosen. I mean, Malice has become a sort of slightly more swing feel about Tankled Malice. You've probably noticed in recent years, but even then, you know, you've got things like uh, Man in the Corner Shop, you know, popped mm-hmm. up fairly recently on the tours. And and um I think I think there's some really well chosen songs of the back catalogue that now complement which is probably why he's done it, obviously, but complements a lot of where he's got to as a songwriter now. And I think they fit together really well. Perhaps there was a time when that wasn't the case, which is probably why he separated the two out mostly. But I remember the version of In The Crowd, the jam song at the Guildfest gig, which I think was probably my most favorite live performance song of his that I've seen, because that was just Huge, and I just thought, God, that still really works, you know. Because what was that? Two thousand and five. So you know, that's a good old time Mm. after that song moved around, and I think it's really good. So that was going to one of the things I was going to mention was I just thought that was such a good. uh, Sting did a similar sort of thing. You know, when he left the police, Dream of the Blue Turtles album, and all you know, and all that stuff at really the early, he didn't want to go anywhere near the police, and then in the end he did, and then of course there was a reunion of the police back in the two thousand. So I, I think everyone probably does that, but I thought I thought it was really good, and I now think, I mean, we were talking about that back, back catalog earlier. I mean, you know. How do you sit down and put a Paul Weather set together? I mean, you know, fantastic.
1: Now, there's another memory I have, Pete, which I've got to mention to you, which was uh, your fortieth. You had PG forty, which was this on air thing where you were you were on air live for forty hours. Uh, but there was also your fortieth birthday party, and you've you've been a bit of a player. And um, by that, I mean musician. I'd say I'd <laughs> say you know, uh, musician
2: comes a long way below a number of other <laughs> things. on the tombstone
1: it'll be inverted commas he tried no you have you've played the main stage at guildfest with your band to be fair and i remember your 40th i remember your 40th you playing i remember you playing town called malice and i remember bruce foxton being there yeah he was there he was there (laughs) (laughs) he came to my wedding as well he was at our wedding as well and how does it feel then playing those songs and bruce foxton's in the crowd um I think it was helped on that
2: particular occasion the the fortieth birthday with a huge amount of red wine <laughs> um I think that helped things through but yeah, you know and and um I, as i say yeah i I've, I've known him on and off now for a few years, and he's one of those people that um that when if you haven't seen them for a while and then you do see them it's, it's like you just start off where you left off last time. It's not a sort of, you know, well, where have you been sort of thing. It's like, did you get
1: all that jam stuff out of the way fairly early on in your relationship then?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I was just always, you know, because I did spend some evenings with him, you know, in the pub and things like that. In fact, he bought me a cup of tea in a pub once, which I know <laughs> sticks in his memory as being rather embarrassing. Which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but, but, so he always reminds me of that. And that was years ago now. I'm talking, I don't know, maybe 16, 17 years ago that was. He still goes on about it. I think when you're in a situation where you're not interviewing someone. So, you know, I've not had an opportunity, for example, to sit in a pub with Paul and just just be there for a couple of hours. I think with Bruce, I was just very aware that I didn't want to Go, God, you know, Was the baseline from start taken from the Beatles tax man? All that sort of stuff. It just comes out in conversation. So I think I've always been aware that he probably doesn't want to be pummeled with that sort of stuff. But you just over a period of time, if you have that luck to be able to, you just sort of things come out. <laughs> you know, just sort of tease some bits and Oh, actually, while we're on that, um, and so there's a bit of that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and and to say with Rick, you know, I spent a little bit of time on and off with Rick, and you know, he's also a real gent and really interesting. Uh, but did I sit there and talk to him about sort of drum rhythms and patterns and stuff like that? No, probably not. I didn't actually. We just stood and looked at some logs as a monument to the band. <laughs>
1: Nice callback, well done. Right, we have two final questions before you go, PG. This has been lovely. You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the Jam, the Style Council, or Paul Weller solo. Which one are you going to go with? Oh, damn! That's. I
2: mean, come on. Um, I mean, that is so difficult because the other thing is that it depends on my mood. I, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Um, so I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say uh, the album version of my ever-changing moods because I still think it's so. It has such impact. It's really dramatic, um, and it's so clever. And you know, a little bit like you know when he wrote down the tube station. If you think about it, and the, the lyrical content of down the tube, I mean, I think he was only about nineteen. The, the guy who was coming out with stuff and my ever changing moods is really honest. So I'm, I'm going to go with that. There are, there of course, many, many others. Many others. I do love um, waiting, which is t- Star Council, which is which is tucked away on. Um, Cost of Loving, I think it is. That's quite a... And and then, you know... Yeah, so, but anyway, I've gone with my everchanging changing moods because I think yeah. it's sort of... I think... And indeed, he does do that still now in different forms. So I think that, as a track, sort of astrides the years quite nicely.
1: You mentioned earlier on, Pete, the lockdown performances the, the I mean the, this is the ones where he's like sat on the stairs or sat in the kitchen him and acoustic guitar and it's just filmed on mobile phone which were just, just beautiful but he's always kind of done that where you always get a sense that these songs evolve which I think is lovely with Paul where you know you've got the album so this was on Sunset and you're hearing something acoustically, which just sounds so different. I love Days of Speed, like you mentioned earlier on. I'd love an acoustic tour again, wouldn't you?
2: Yeah, I think it would be. I think it'd be lovely with with all sorts of different interpretations of. And yeah, some songs would work within, some wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought um, Gravity, maybe Gravity, was one of the lo- lockdown ones, which I just thought bought the song alive even more than it already was on the album, which I just thought was 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 really clever. So no, you're right. And what's interesting, of course. And this just links back to something that we were going to come back with. This this ridiculous thing where I've got status quo and the jam in the same pocket for me. But of course, Rick Parfit, the late, great Rick Parfit, also a Woking boy, but was that much older than Paul. And of course, lent the jam an amplifier because they were all from the same area. They never got it back, apparently.
1: Paul, <laughs> really? Paul,
2: Paul continually apologizes for it, actually, and still does, I think. And I like that. And of course, what was great was that, just going back to that Guildfest gig, You know, Quo had been on the day before. Weller was on the day. uh, I was in, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was in all sorts of, you know, it was just a weekend. I don't think I ever slept actually over the whole weekend. It was just so exciting. But I think that's the point. Because of course, Quo had to do a similar thing with their acoustic stuff. I mean, slightly different, I know. But, you know, they had to look at at some different ways of doing things. Um, Partially that was to do with them getting older, actually. But, you know, um, and then sadly they lost Rick anyway. I think Paul looking acoustically, particularly off the back of some of that stuff... That you're referring to with that sort of clarity. What was amazing, Dan, about those recordings that he did was how good they sounded on what effectively was the phone, wasn't it? it was yeah yeah yeah, I mean,
1: so yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. just. and it still sounded fantastic. Yeah,
2: yeah. And in cool. the end, that's because the music's good. I thought, I thought it was chilled, that was nicer, that was well timed, and yeah. I mean, you, you, you got to say. I mean, what's it going to be like? You know, when eventually, or whenever that may be. You know, we are all allowed to gather together again to pay homage. Um yeah, you know, how is that going to be? What's that going to look like? I mean, this with all the awfulness of what we've all been through these last this last year or whatever. And 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 when it ends, we don't know yet still really. But what an opportunity for live performance, live music for for the real crusaders of that live music like Paul. What an opportunity to just come back in and remind everyone what life actually is all about. I think it'll be very emotional. I think it'll yeah. be really emotional as people gather together again, um, because we'd forgotten, you know, we'd forgotten really. I think and people still like going and seeing live music. Of course they always have done. I think we'd forgotten how really special it was. So I think, gosh, that's something to look forward to, i say.
1: Okay, PG, my final question for you. Purpose of this podcast is to get that conversation with Paul, the one that I never managed in my radio career. If it happens, hey, when it happens, and I know it's happened for you, whether it's just you or with Darren bloody scars. Um, (laughs) If it happens, what should I ask him?
0: I don't think I ever
2: really properly have discussed with him what is clearly still a very important aspect of his life, which is, you know, which effectively is his Surrey upbringing and not necessarily just Woking. You know, he, he, uh, he, you know, there's aspects in his music around areas of Surrey and things like that. I'm just thinking, you know, as, as a Surrey born and bred myself, I'm just interested because he would quite often feature things. I mean, things like um, in the beginning of his first ever solo album, the first single was, uh-huh. oh yeah, the video was all, was him going back to Woking mm-hmm. and finding himself again. Says it in the lyrics. I just think, yeah, maybe I haven't asked him enough about that because I think that's quite interesting. And I think, whilst there's all sorts of different uh, shapes and sizes in Surrey and uh, around, I think he, I think he draws a lot from that, and I'd be interested to know more, really.
1: Yeah, you're right, because that connection's still there, isn't it? Still really strong with not just obviously Black Barn, the studio in Ripley, but Anne Weller, his mum's still in the area as well. Lots of friends, family. Yeah, it's not he's not run away from it, has he? And I and, and I think there's
2: no reason why he should, by the way. But um Interesting. So I'd, I'd like to know more about how much of the soul is in the, you know, the Surrey boy, really. PG, this has been lovely.
1: Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Dan, thank you very much for inviting me on. My well, thanks once again to PG, Peter Gordon, a real delight to catch up with him again after all these years. Next up on the podcast, I can't quite believe this either. I'm joined by the wonderful singer-songwriter Catherine Williams. Not only is she a Big Weller fan, but Paul has also called out a love of her music on many of occasions too. We're in for a real treat on the next episode, so make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, and share on social media. You can even buy me a coffee and find information about my guests in the show notes for this podcast. Get in touch on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook, it's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time.